I'm excited to get into the Word with you guys, and we're going through our parable series, and uh, I get to do the parable of the lost son, and this is one that I've always loved, I've always been drawn to, because I think it's a, it's a beautiful picture and representation of the relationship between a father and a son, and if you guys aren't familiar with it, we'll go through the text, but the overarching theme of this parable is a father that is willing to show his son grace and unrelenting grace over and over again. And so um, as we read through the text, I would just encourage you guys uh, to keep that in mind, to keep that theme of grace in mind. And so we're going to start, and it's in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to go to verse 11 through 24. If you guys are familiar with the story, you know that there are two sons, and we're only going to get to one son today because I believe that the, the first son has so much that we can take away from. And there's so many lessons just out of the, the first son's life. I think the second son would, would be an entirely different sermon. And so we're going to go through verses 11 through 24. But I would encourage you guys to read through the rest of the story and get the story of the second son as well. Preferably not while I'm preaching, um, but we're going to go through just verses 11 through 24. And again, this is in Luke chapter 15. As I get it a little bit closer to my face. Uh, So verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, after he had spent everything, there severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods and the pigs that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. As he ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the message that you have for us. I thank you that we have the privilege of diving into your word and discovering just how much you love us, the relationship that you desire to have with us, and the grace that comes with that relationship, God. And I just, I pray for each and every person here, God. I know that you have placed them all here at this time for a specific reason, God. I know no one is here by accident. And so I thank you for bringing us together to to lift you up and to praise you and to learn a little bit more about you, God. And I just pray that you would open our hearts pray that you would open our minds and our ears to hear whatever it is that you have to say to us. 
in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. And so as you read through this story and as you hear it, you, you again, you get this theme of this loving father who, is, who shows grace to his son when his son probably doesn't deserve it. And that's the overarching theme of this parable and really the whole chapter of Luke. And I think that the idea of grace can be kind of hard for us to understand for two reasons. And because of that, I think I'm speaking to two different groups of people. And what's interesting is that I believe Jesus, being the master storyteller that he was, he crafted this parable knowing that he was speaking to two groups as well. If you go to the beginning of chapter 15 of Luke, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so you have one group who is the sinner and the tax collector, right? And they would have probably had trouble. I, I come this way on sinners and tax collectors, not because I think this is the sinner group. Um, but you have, you have two groups, and the sinners and the tax collectors would have had a hard time accepting this idea of grace because all they've been told by culture is how unworthy, unworthy they are and how wretched they are and how they're living this life of sin. And they were still living a life of sin. And so they probably had a tough time understanding this, this parable of this father who just welcomes his son back with open arms. They were probably listening and thinking, well, Jesus, you, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the type of life that I'm living right now. And so they would have had a tough time understanding grace for that reason. But then you also notice that there's another group that Jesus is speaking to, and he's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And this group, if I'm being honest with myself, and if we're all honest, I think I tend to fall into this group because I've been a Christian for a while. And I've, I've kind of grown up going to church. And the teachers of the law, they'd also been raised in Scripture. And they'd been raised going to the synagogues and learning everything that Scripture said. And so they'd, they'd known it for so long that they'd all, almost begun to take God's grace for granted in their lives. Because they'd started to make it more about the things that they could do to earn grace themselves. And they started to think, well, I, I don't necessarily need God's grace because I have it all on my own. And I think we can relate to that because maybe some of us have grown up in the church. I know some of us have literally grown up in this church. And if we're not careful, it can become so mundane to us and we can start to do things on our own that it become, we, be, we begin to take God's grace for granted in our lives. And so I believe those are, are two groups of people that Jesus is talking to, and it's the same today. And no matter what group you believe you're in this morning, and honestly, we probably all go through seasons where we fall into both of these groups, it's important to recognize that God's grace, it, we are all in need of God's grace, no matter what group that you fall into. And I think before we can have an experience with this grace that the story is talking about, we have to first be able to realize and admit to ourselves that we are in need of God's grace. Always and forever will we be in need of God's grace in our life. 
Um, in Ephesians 2, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. And he kind of puts the Christians that he's speaking to on a level playing field. And so I want to read it to you. It starts off in verse 1. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so Paul starts, and he kind of reads this text to him, and he says, hey, remember that you suck. Remember that we all suck, right? Remember that we are all sinners in need of God's grace. No matter where you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you've been serving Jesus, we are all in need of God's grace. And, he, and then he, after he says that, then he ends with verse 4. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And I love how it ends. It says, it is by grace that you have been saved. And so we first need to have this reminder of our brokenness before we can realize the power that God's grace can play in our lives. And I understand that it's one thing to read about God's grace in our life, and it's another thing to understand it because someone has shown us that grace. And so I was thinking through my life, and uh, what may come as a surprise, I've had to be shown grace a lot in my life, and uh, especially from my wife, who is great at showing me grace all of the time, but also my parents, because my wife has only been married to me for two years. My parents uh, had to deal with me for the first 22 years of my life. And so I was talking with Hannah, and she was asking what story I was going to tell. And I said, well, when do you think is the time when I've been shown the most grace in my life? And she said, probably the time you spent the night in jail. And, and she was right. She was right. And so I'm going to... I'm going to tell you guys the story of the night that I spent in jail, hoping that you guys don't judge me. Uh, it was my 19th birthday, uh, so it was seven years ago, okay? So I have grown up, I've changed, I've matured, uh, but I understand I'm probably the only pastor on staff, I'm guessing, that spent the night in jail. Maybe Taylor, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, but it was my, so it was my 19th birthday, and you have to understand, uh, I'm, I'm from North Dakota, and there's, there's not a whole lot to do in North Dakota. It's you either drink a lot, or you go to the movies. It's only nice, like, four, maybe five months out of the year where you can go outside and be social. And so you, in order to have fun, uh, you have to be creative. And so me and my, my friends, we, I had a, a few group of friends that we really enjoyed climbing buildings. That was like our fun. We didn't drink or party or anything like that. We would just climb buildings and we would find these really cool, really tall buildings and we'd say, I bet I could scale that. And so we would, we would climb these buildings. And uh, so it, it's my birthday and pretty much everyone's gone except these few friends of ours. 
that like to climb. And so we're like, hey, it's your birthday. We got we to gotta go somewhere big. We got to do like one of the really cool buildings that we haven't been able to do yet. And that building was BHS, which is Bismarck High School, which was like the rival school for us. And we'd, we'd never climbed it um, because it was a very bad idea to climb it because it was just surrounded by a neighborhood. And so we knew that if we climbed it, we would probably get caught. But it was my birthday. And so we were like, well, we probably won't get caught this time. And so we waited until it was really late. And we went and we had perfected this move where one would stand like this and then another person would come and they would run and they would boost you up just like that. It looked just like that. And then that person would grab the ledge and pull himself up and then turn around and help the other person up. And so we did it. We perfected the move. We got on top of, of BHS. And like when we were on the buildings, we, we weren't vandalizing anything. Like we never did anything bad. We would just like well, I did every once in a while, like, we would sign, like, Chancellor was here, you know, something like that. So I guess it wasn't, like, completely innocent, but, um, but we weren't really doing anything. We were just standing up there and checking the view and taking pictures and, and stuff. And, and then uh, we noticed a cop pull into the parking lot, and we noticed two cops get out and start to walk around. And so we obviously went to the other side of the building that the cops were not on because we were trying to get down and we saw that there was another cop car there. And so we went to the other side of the building and there was a cop car there as well. Um, and so I, spent, I, I went to jail that night. Uh, we, got, we got caught and, uh, and I went to jail. And so at that point, it was pretty late when we got there. And so my parents were kind of like, yeah, you're on your own. We're, we're going to, we'll pick you up in the morning. And so, and I deserved it. So we were all kind of like, yeah, we, we deserve this. We should suffer in jail. And, but that was the first time that I'd ever spent the night in jail. Uh, <laughs> that was my first cavity search I've ever experienced. And I pray all the time that that's the last one that I will ever experience. That was the first time that I refused to take the contacts out of my eyes because I was scared what might happen if I closed my eyes. Because, um, I mean, I'm not the best-looking guy, but I was the best-looking guy in this group and cell that I had. And so I was, I was real scared, <laughs> okay? I'll just... I'll just be honest with you guys. And so I didn't sleep a lick that night. And as soon as I heard my name come over the intercom, I pieced out of there and I, I ran, okay? And, um, and I, I'll never forget, though, that it was my birthday, right? And so my parents picked me up and I come walking out and I haven't slept. My eyes are bloodshot. And I'm like, oh, man, now I got to, like, go through all this with my parents and they just, they were like, hey, we, we know that you know that you screwed up. We love you. And they just, they kind of gave me a hug and they said, we got to go back home. And then they said, and remember, you have your birthday party in about an hour. And so I had to go back home and I had to go to my own birthday party. Everyone at the party knew where I had been the night before Yet they still came up to me and they still said, hey, we love you. We know you made a dumb choice. It's okay. And, and they, not only they hugged me and, and loved me, but like I, I got gifts 
and I got a cake, and I was, I was celebrated, and I just remember feeling like, man, I, I don't deserve this. I know what I'd done last night, and I just, I don't deserve to be celebrated right now. But my, my parents, they loved me, and they showed me grace in that moment. And I just remember being so thankful for the relationship that I had with them and for the grace that they showed me in that moment, even though I did not deserve it. And I hope that you guys have a story like that in your life of people who have shown you grace when you needed it most and when you probably didn't deserve it. But that, that's how I understand grace. People showing you mercy when you least deserve it. And that's the relationship that God wants with us as his children. He wants us to not be afraid to run into his arms, but he wants us to, to run towards him. And when we do, no matter how many nights we've spent in jail or buildings we've climbed or ways that we've screwed up or ways that we've backslidden in our faith or no matter what sin that we're struggling with, his arms are always wide open. He's always ready to lavish that grace upon us. And that would be a really great sermon for me to end on. That would be a really great, happy sermon for me to preach, and it's probably really easy to accept that. Because the truth is, we, we love accepting God's forgiveness. We love accepting His grace. But we don't always like the fact that we have a responsibility in that process as well. That as we're shown grace, that our behavior should change as a result of the relationship and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that God shows us. So we can't just be living our lives and doing whatever we want and saying, well, God's grace is sufficient. God has grace for me. God loves me. God is going to understand. Because then we're, we're not appreciating God's grace. We're just abusing God's grace. We're taking advantage of God's grace in our life. And so I think it's easy for us to hear about the forgiveness part. It's harder for us to accept that this realization of the sin in our lives is only so powerful if that realization doesn't lead us to repentance. And what repentance is, is just a step away from our sin and towards God. And so it's one thing to realize that we are living in sin or one thing to realize that we're struggling with this. And it's a whole nother thing to let that realization lead us into repentance. And we go through it in, in this story even, if you start in verse um, 14. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And then catch how verse 17 starts. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had food to spare? And yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then verse 20 starts with, so he got up and went to his father. 
And so even in this story, you have verse 17 where he came to his senses, it says, which means he had that realization that, hey, my life is not going according to plan right now. But it wasn't until verse 20 that he got up and went to his father. And so without verse 20, he would have never gotten to experience the grace that his father wanted to show him. And I think so often we get stuck in that place in our lives where we have a realization. We know that maybe what we're doing isn't healthy, or maybe we know that the friends that we're hanging out with, the community that we surround ourselves with, isn't feeding us. They're not enabling us to to live a healthy lifestyle. We can have that realization, but it's hard for us to take a step back from those group of friends. Or maybe there's this sin that you're struggling with, and you know that it's holding you back from everything that God has for you, but it's really hard for you to take a step of action and, and to do something about it. And I think we struggle because we tend to let our sin and the struggles of life that come We tend to let that move us away from God instead of towards God. And I thought it was interesting as I was doing some research and reading through this text that the son and the family that he came from was Jewish, right? And so even though he had left and gone to a different country, because he was Jewish, there would have been a Jewish community wherever he was, somewhere close by him, that he could have went to when the famine struck and when he was out of money, there would have been a Jewish community there for him to run to, that they would have been able to help him, to encourage him, to help him back onto his feet. But instead, and I realize this is kind of a a rabbit trail, but I think it is really important for us, because instead of doing that, he decided to go and work for the pig farmer. And Jews thought pigs were were super unclean and unholy animals. And so those farms were placed outside of the city in isolation. And so it says in the text that the pig farmer sent the son out to his farms. And so instead of going to this community that could have helped him and could have supported him, he chose to let the struggles that he was going through isolate him. And that's where he hit rock bottom was in this place of isolation in his life. And so not only do we let this sin take us away from God, but honestly, it probably takes us away from people. And we think that because I'm struggling with this, because I'm going through all of these things in my life, that I need to take a step back from the community that loves me and cares about me. Or maybe it's emotionally that I'm going through all of these things and I want to talk about them. I need to share them with someone. But we isolate ourselves emotionally because we don't want to share it with people because we're afraid of what it might mean or what people might say about us or, or whatever it is. We let that sin in our life isolate us, not only from God, but from people. And I've seen in my life countless times. And, I, and because of that, I believe that this, the moment where we really begin to take that leap of maturity in our faith, where we go from maybe this beginner's level of faith to like this advanced stage, is when people start letting their sin move them towards God instead of further away, where they're willing to admit that I'm struggling with this, but I'm going to take it to God 
and I'm going to take it to people, and I'm going to surround myself with the community that God has granted me and the community that God desires for all of us to have. And I'm going to let that sin and that need in my life, instead of trying to fill it with other stuff, I'm going to move towards God and ask God to fulfill that in my own life and to meet that need for me. And when we can begin to do that, when we can take that step of, of faith, I believe that's when God can really begin to work in our lives, when we, he can really begin to speak to us and show us this grace and show us this mercy. But it's only when we're willing to move into God's arms and move into the community. And I understand that maybe some of you don't have that community. You don't feel like you have that community. Then create that community or seek that community out because God, God commands us to seek out that community and to f- surround ourselves with other Christian brothers and sisters who are going to lift us up in the moments when we're struggling. They're not just there when life is going good. And your attendance at church shouldn't be based on how well your life is going or how, what struggles you're going through. We should always be running towards God, whether our life is good or, or whether our life is bad. And then I love how the verse ends. It says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. And I love how it says, So he got up and went to his father. And then you notice the father's reaction. It says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And so the reason that I love this parable so much and one of my favorite aspects of our relationship with God is that I believe that when we take a step towards him, when we let our realization lead us to repentance and we take a step away from our struggles and our sin and we take even one step towards God, that God is a God who will run to us and he will meet us in that moment. And it says this, the, the father Uh, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him, which means the father was looking for him. And so I, I know that there's probably people in the room and maybe you feel far away from God. Maybe you feel like your sin up until this point or the struggles that you've been through have separated you from him and created this distance between you and God, and you feel so far away from him this morning. And I love that the father saw him from a long way off. And God treats us the same way, that once we take that first step, that he sees us and he comes running to meet us. And it's not this long process of we have to take three steps here and three steps this way. And we have to get this situation taken care of in our life. And we have to get this sin taken care of. And we have to get our life in order in this way. And then 
God comes to meet us. No, it says once he sees you in the distance, he comes running to meet you. And his presence meets you in the middle of everything that you're struggling with. It meets you in the middle of that addiction. It meets you in the middle of that struggle. It meets you in the middle of that tough marriage that you're going through. It meets you in the middle of whatever thing that you are dealing with. God says, no, I want to come to you and I want to embrace you and I want to wrap my arms around you and I want to give you the grace and the mercy and this relationship that is going to get you through all of these things in your life that you're going through. Uh, Worship team, you can come up. Sorry, I got a little excited there. Um, (laughs) But I truly believe that this relationship is one that not only God offers to us, but one that we have to be willing to take a step of faith towards. And if we're willing to do that, And God is going to come and he's going to run and he's going to meet us in that moment. And I believe so many of us have to have a moment in our lives, just like the son where it says, so he so he got up and went to his father. I would ask, when is the last time that you had a so he got up and went to his father moment? When is the last time that you had a moment where she got up? And went to the Father. And to be honest, we all need to have those moments all of the time. Because we're full of sin. Like Paul was talking about, we're we're full of sin in our life. No matter how long we have been serving God or haven't been serving God, we all need an extra ounce of His grace. And so we all have to have those moments in our life where we say, I'm going to get up from this thing that has been holding me down for so long. I'm going to get up from this sin and from this addiction and from this relationship. Whatever it is, I'm going to get up from what's been holding me down. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my Father. And I'm going to take it before Him and I'm going to drop it at His feet. And I'm going to say, Father, I believe that even though I struggle with this and even though I don't feel like I deserve it, God, I need Your love. I need your mercy. I need your help to get through all of this. And when we have that moment, then man, God is a loving father who isn't going to turn us away. And he's not going to say, no, I see all that you've done. And maybe you're in that group that we talked about at the beginning. Maybe you're in that group where it's hard for you to accept a God like that. Because maybe the church that you've grown up in or the religion that you're used to paints a picture of a judgmental God that is just waiting to condemn. And you think, Chancellor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know the things that I struggled with or am struggling with. And you have a hard time accepting that grace. Or maybe you're in the second group. And you think, wow, it's been a long time since I've thought about just how much I really need God's grace. It doesn't matter which group you fall into tonight, today. What matters is if you're willing to have that moment where you get up and where your realization turns into repentance and you walk away from your sin and you walk towards God. And I just believe that when you have that moment, when you're willing to take those steps, that you're going to experience God's presence in a new and powerful way.
And so I'm, I'm going to pray. And as I, as I was praying through this message and as I was praying through this lesson and asking God, what, what do you want us to hear? What do you want people to see? And I would just love it if each and every one of us, no matter how long we've known God, and maybe we don't know God, and maybe this is the first opportunity that you get, which is so cool. But no matter where we're at in our faith, I would just love for us to have a new experience with the ultimate father, the one that this story is meant to represent, that we have a new realization of our need for God. And because of that, we get to experience this brand new relationship with him that revitalizes us and refreshes us and spurs us on and motivates us to change those things in our life that we know are holding us back, that we get this great idea and this great revelation of his grace, and it changes us. And it forces us to change some things in our lives and to live more righteously and to live a life that's worthy of his calling. Because I understand that the church has this stigma surrounding it that we're just a bunch of holy huddle people who hang out in our sanctuary and we point the finger at the rest of the world and we say, look at them and look at the sin that's going on. Look at all that's going wrong in the world. But especially here at GGFC, and I believe as a whole, the church is meant to be an example, not of judgment, but an example of grace. We're supposed to be filled with the most grace of anyone. We're supposed to extend the most grace to our families and to our friends and to our people that we know are struggling. But it doesn't, that doesn't happen until we first realize that we are in need of God's grace. And when we read through this, this parable and this story, it's not always easy to accept that we are all on the same level. We don't like to hear that as Christians. We read through this story and we think, well, I have, I've got that lost son in my life, or I've got that lost daughter. I've got that lost cousin or friend. And man, they, they need Jesus. They need to meet the father. They need to come back because I see how they live on the weekends. And it's real easy to admit that. It's, it's not always easy to admit that you and I are the lost sons. You and I are the lost daughters that are in need of his grace and his mercy every single day of our life. And so when we realize that and when we take that to God, he showers his love and his relationship and his grace upon us.